Welcome to the Less Doing Podcast, where you will learn how to start living more by doing less. Let me help you optimize, automate, and outsource your entire life so you can focus on doing the things you love. Now here's your host, Ari Mizell. Welcome back to the Less Doing Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Mizell, and my guest today Jason Gladly, I'm the creator and founder of Rapid Crush, which is possibly one of the best business names ever. So, Jason, welcome to the podcast. Ari, I am excited and I'm glad to be here as well. Well, thank you. Uh, so, I, I want to talk a little bit about your background, but uh, well, maybe it's the same story, but how did you come up with the, not just the name, but the concept for Rapid Crush? <laughs> yeah, so... I had started my own business way back in 2007 when I first started working online and it was just Flatland Productions, which was totally unimaginative. Uh, and I made my first million in, in sales and internet, you know, by the second or third year I was in business. So I was rocking and rolling pretty good, but I wanted to do software. I didn't want to just do information products, audio programs, you know, video programs, that kind of thing. So I was like, I don't know how to do software. So I partnered up with a guy named Wilson Matos. We tested a product with our two companies selling it. It was a huge um, success, biggest success. I still never have sold software better than that time. And this was in 2010. So we thought, you know what, let's just keep doing this. So let's form a company together. <laughs> and, and we did. And so we're, Will and I are sitting there thinking about, he's like, well, what do we do? He says, we're very rapid in execution. We like to get things done as quickly as possible. And you know, we like to crush it. We don't like to just do it. And I don't know if Gary Vaynerchuk was even big back then or not, Ari, but uh, he wasn't really on my radar. So we just, you know, we're like, we, we go out and we crush things. So let's just call it rapid crush. Now, when people ask me, what does that mean? We, I always joke with them if they're like at a cocktail party, I'll say, yeah, we either, we, you know, we have a rock quarry company uh, or, or it, we're a dating company, right? So it's like, get your crush to, you know, get a rapid crush on you from, from somebody that you want to have. Uh, but yeah, we just, we like to get it things done fast and effectively. So henceforth, Rapid Crush Inc. Well, that's awesome. So what, what, what was the, what was that first software that you, that you crushed it with? Yeah. So this was a program called WP Twin. It's just a couple PHP scripts, two of them, in fact, but uh, this was an interesting time in, in marketing. And I, and I love the topic of strategic marketing and strategic thinking in business. I don't think it gets discussed enough, uh, but I like to fancy myself as that's my unique ability, right? Is, I said, hey, listen, WordPress was becoming the monster that it now is today, which is one fourth of all websites are powered by WordPress. But back then it was typically positioned as a blogging platform. And, you know, blogging is like, eh, it's one thing. And then there was software that would allow you to back up your WordPress blog. And, you know, backing up things is, it's a necessary, but it's not an exciting, sexy thing. Entrepreneurs don't get jacked up about the backing up process. You know, maybe their accountant does, right? So I said, you know what? We've been using WordPress to develop sales sites, you know, niche sites that make money. But the challenge is to set them up and configure them and make them be effective takes a long time. So nobody actually ever does it. But if we did it once, created this master clone, if you will, then we could replicate that and duplicate that. So now we're not backing up WordPress blogs. We're replicating, or as we call it, cloning WordPress sites. And so, you know, I showed people simple models like, hey, listen, if you want to make money, like, 
helping dentists get websites up. You could build one amazing dentist WordPress site. And then all you'd have to do is clone it, change the name, throw in a couple of different pictures and you could go this and you could sell it to a local dentist in any area. Or you could say, I'll give you this site for free if you'll sit down with me for an hour and we'll discuss marketing together. And so we taught like five ways to monetize this whole cloning a WordPress site concept. And that was our pitch. So we used a webinar to do this, right? Which is kind of what people know me for as the webinar guy. We used a webinar to educate them on all the ways that if you could clone a WordPress site and deploy it, how you can make money. We gave an amazing education on this webinar for free. And then the call to action was go buy this script. And we sold 15,000 copies of that script. It started at $77. I think it got up to the point where it's 197 because the internet had never seen anything like that. We were now, we changed it from blogs to sites, money-making sites, and we changed it from backing up to cloning. And so that was the birth and the beginning of rapid crush. <laughs> that So that's real interesting to me about changing, you know, from like backup to cloning, for example, because so that I'll just take a slight aside here, but I think you'll appreciate this. There's, there's this really cool psychological experiment done where they uh, had these people buy it or they had people and they're like, all right, you, you bought a $10 ticket to the movies and you go to the movie theater. And when you get to the movie theater, you realize that you lost the ticket. Would you buy another one? And most people, which surprised me, but most people are like, no, no, I'm like, I'm pissed off. I'm over it. Like, I don't want to go to the movies anymore. I lost the ticket. And then they take another group of people and they say, you went, you're going to the movies to get a ticket. And when you get to the movie theater, you realize that you lost $10. Would you go ahead and buy a movie ticket still? And everyone was like, yeah, of course I would. Why wouldn't I buy it? Like, who cares? And it's the exact same amount of money, you know? So it's like you get that sort of emotional connection to certain words and concepts and things. And that to me, that's like huge uh, changing it from clone or from backing up to cloning. That's yeah. And that's been a study of my whole life Ari. So when we sell our webinar program today, when I teach about the transition, because it's really important because on a webinar, typically what you want to do is you want to, you want to give information first to help the person identify if this is something they should be doing it and how they should be doing it. So that's the role of information is to get somebody excited to do the hard things that they know they should do, but currently aren't doing that are going to get them the results or solve the problems that they're looking to solve. And then the selling portion of it, what we call the pitch section is essentially saying, okay, I got this thing. I want you to buy it. Give me your credit card and I'll go sign up and I'll give you something in exchange for the money you give me. And people get very nervous because it's a total different modality of communication and so we teach this, this thing about the transition where the example I give is this. So uh, they, did two they did a study on a group of doctors, the first group of surgeons. They were saying, if this has a 90% survival rate, how likely would you be to recommend this surgery? And most of them say, yeah, of course I would, right? And then they asked the second group, they said, this has a 10% fatality rate. How likely would you be to recommend the surgery? And most of them say, eh, not so likely. And so the transition of the idea is, if we position the information as like, this is fantastic, this is great, and now go off and do that, and if you need help, then you can pay me money and I'll help you, probably not going to do very well, right? But if we position it as, this is fantastic, this is great, and you can go off on your own and use this, but if we can do this together, and if I can have a vested interest in your outcome and your success, don't you believe that I would do everything I could to stack the deck in your favor, to give you the resources you need, to have all this material that I've developed and fine-tuned and I can hand that over to you? Wouldn't it be better in that situation if you had such an option to consider it and think about investing in it as opposed to only giving you the option to getting you all dressed up and hoping you figure out where you need to go? And now people are like, ooh, 
sell me something. <laughs> it's all about how you position things, isn't it? On how people are receptive to them, regardless. It could be the greatest thing in the world for them, but if it's not properly positioned for them to be receptive to it, you're probably going to make any money. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and so I, I got to add, I mean, like, how did how did you get this good, honestly? Because you really are. And I've seen you in so many different facets. Like, did, where did you learn this? <laughs> so this is a great, great question. I really like it because everything in my, my philosophy, Ari, is that everything is a series of trade-offs. Uh, so, so part of the thing is I don't necessarily recommend anybody become as good at something in business as I have become at this type of you know persuasion and communication and framing, especially on a webinar, because it's at the expense of a lot of other stuff. Now, I've been fortunate enough to hire the right people and have people around me that essentially do every other thing that I can't do, don't want to do, or would want to do, but would screw it up if I did it. Right. And so that allows me to stay within my zone and my element. And my zone and my element is to try to be as strategic as possible from, from that position and then deploy models that can act upon and realize the fruits of that strategy. And so on a very specific level, one of the ways that I got really good at this is I simply, I memorization, and this is the least popular answer of any question I can ever give, but it's the God's honest truth is if you want to learn how to be very persuasive, the first thing I would recommend you do is just brute force memorize persuasive communication. And this can be literally speeches from some of the greatest orators of all time. So, you know, Martin Luther King Jr., I have a dream. Maybe it makes sense to memorize that speech. I would recommend it. And also things like uh, even like sales material. So I got the book Secrets of Closing the Sales by Zig Ziglar. It's still my favorite sales book to this very day. They're actually a client now. Um, a, a company required the rights to all the Zig stuff and they hired me to pitch it because I know Zig so well as kind of a full circle deal. But uh, I literally would take his closes on how he sold pots and pans back in the day. I would write them on three by five note cards and I would memorize it. And I memorized a close, a close a day for six months. It only took me a few minutes a day. I'd wake up in the morning, write it out. And then I, by the time I went to bed, I'd have a new close memorized. And then you know, I heard this concept of, of taking these sales letters, these legendary long form sales letters in print and in newspapers and in magazines and writing them all out hand by hand. But to me, that seemed it seemed like too much. I did one of those and I was like, forget that. I ain't doing that again. But what I did do is I said, what's the best paragraph or the best two paragraphs within this sales letter? And then I would write that out. 10 times as opposed to one or 15 times. And what I discovered was I started memorizing these things. And so that's beautiful because now I don't have to reference things. And now I can essentially audition things in my head over and over again. So I can take a paragraph of really good persuasive communication. And in my head, without even speaking it out loud, I can audition it a bunch of different ways. What happens if I speak it slowly? What happens if I speak it fast? What happens if I get really loud with it? Or what happens if I'm very soft about it? And then I say, well, what happens if I substitute this word for that word? Do I feel more comfortable saying it? Do I think it's more impactful that way? And then I started noticing the following is when you start to mix different portions. What if I take the first half of this thing I learned over here in this sales letter and combine it with the second half of the thing I learned over there from this audio of this great speech? 
and kind of mold these two things together, what would that look like? And now you're creating net new communication from two existing models. But here's where it gets really great, Ari, is that you uh, then get on these webinars or whatever sales communication channel you're going to use. And the cool thing is, is the new media is fun to me. Uh, literally, Ari, there might be a limit on how long we could go on this podcast today from a technological point of view. I'm sure at some point in time, you know, we would use up all the memory and it would crash and close down. But that's really our only constraint besides obviously your amount of free time and my amount of free time. But old media had a constraint in terms of inches if it was in print or in terms of amount of time if it was on television. And a webinar, though, really is endless. And so when I first started doing this, I would spend four to six hours, eight hours sometimes on these webinars, because as long as people were there listening to me sell, I was going to keep selling. Now, as I made more money, I quit doing that as much because sometimes it's okay to, to, to stop an hour early to sacrifice $1,000. Nowadays, it's not worth my time to do that. But back then, not only was it worth my time, but can you imagine once I had the building blocks in place, I could perpetually test them in an environment where I could practice and profit at the same time. And so the first part was getting the right ingredients. And the second part was just cooking for hours and hours and hours together. And then eventually the feedback I would get from my audience based on observation and based on responsiveness kind of led me into the direction of, of the finer parts of persuasive communication. And then here I am 11 years later with a lot of unspectacular preparation that precedes the obviously spectacular results that we've gotten. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it certainly have. I mean, so now what are, what are some of the, I guess, products or services that you're focused on now? I know that there's the, the webinar product, which we've used to great success. It's, it's uh, quite genius as it's called, but uh, is that like, so are you coming up with new products a lot? Or are you focused on like new selling methods? Like where do you focus a lot of your efforts now? Yeah, great question. So there are three main areas that I am focusing on in that my company is essentially focusing on by extension. The first one is to, as of now, extend the brand for Genius Webinars because it took me, I mean, I perfected this stuff, Ari, but I never wanted to sell it because I didn't think anybody would want to learn how to do webinars because the standard objection is, oh my God, I got to get in front of people. I got to be live, although you don't necessarily have to. I got to, you know, put myself out there. In a lot of people, you know, public speaking is scarier to them than dying. And this is kind of like public speaking. You got to have something worthwhile to sell and then you got to know how to sell it. it it's working without a net. Uh, so eventually, though, we, we were doing it because it was the most profitable thing we could ever do in our business online. It's very rare that a business can find something more profitable than a webinar. So we mastered it. And eventually the marketplace caught up where people were finally realizing that, oh, all these guys are using webinars to sell me. They're not selling me stuff on how to make money with webinars, but they're certainly using webinars to sell me stuff on how to make money. And so I think the marketplace had this shift over time to where the demand came in place. And so I said, you know what? Well, I might as well go out there and teach people our model because certainly other people are teaching their models. And most of them either learned it from me uh, or they copied it off of me. So why not give them the real thing and make some money doing that? So we created the Genius Webinar Programs. My actual focus is more on consulting with bigger level businesses strategically in their marketing and in their business. Because what I've discovered is it's a scary place right now online, Ari. It's, um, there are not a lot of things that have been proven 
optimized and then <laughs> made into a systematic re uh, replicatable process. Just the, just the idea that Facebook in the last few years alone went from not being able to buy, they own less than 2% of the advertising market. And now they own something like 30% of the digital advertising space. And so there is no company that has a track record of more than a handful of years that can say we're professional Facebook ad buyers. Now, if you go offline, there are companies that are 60 years in the making on professional media buyers. So they've had 60 years of evolution to hire, to fire, to replace, to systematize, to test with very little outside disruption. But the only thing that seems to be changing these days is change itself at an exponential rate. And so there's a lot of this insanity. So these businesses that were killing it even last year are just completely lost and they need help. And so I personally have been working at the top level to come up with strategy. And then in some cases, our team can deploy models for people if they can't do it. We always try to say, listen, here's the model. You guys go and do it. And then if you need help, come back to us because we don't want to help. We'd rather have them do it. But most often, because I've built so many models and have my team deploy so many models that most often we'll come in and then assist them. And obviously we'll do this out of you know payment plus a percentage of profit. So that's the second place. And then the third place is you know we design webinars for people. And so that is it's an interesting model that there are certain companies that have a webinar with them. This is our typical client, just so you know, Ari, they've been saying, gee, I've been working on this webinar for four months and I still haven't got it done. <laughs> and we say, okay, stop. <laughs> Quit trying to change your own oil. And then we change the oil for them, so to speak. And beyond that though, my real passion, Ari, is writing. So we wrote this book, uh, One to Many, but I'm like, the thing that I've, I, it's all about legacy for me these days. You know, I made the money. I'm financially independent and will be probably the rest of my life just based on my investments alone. And so I say, you know, what leaves a mark? And to me, it's the book because, you know, there's still when Gutenberg Press was invented in like 1468 or something like that in the 1400s, there are still literally copies of the Gutenberg Bible that exist today. Think how many media has came and went since movable type was invented, but yet books are still by and large, a huge part of how people consume. So books last forever. And so the books these days are where we're getting excited to you know, execute on certain things like strategic thinking and helping with strategic cons uh, consultation, executing services for businesses. And then essentially, you know, webinars aren't going to last forever, right? Uh, you know, Holograms are going to come one day and you're going to be able to push a button on your watch and a holographic person's going to pop out there and start selling you something. Uh, and I'm going to be the guy, hopefully, that can design the scripts and the pitches that are most effective. So as long as we can figure out the most effective sales communication, living within the most powerful strategic model that makes sense, that's where you'll find me. <laughs> that's pretty, that's very exciting. Uh, so what's, what's a challenge then in your business now? Because you're continuing to grow. So what's, what's a challenge for you if there is one? Oh, there's a million, right? Uh, it's it's very interesting because we 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 made a fortune teaching people how to use Amazon, like in 2013, 14, and 15, uh, where we just help companies get started on Amazon. We built software around Amazon, so on and so forth. And so I got to study Amazon inside and out, and it was fascinating to me how broken most of Amazon's business units were just completely in utter disastrous, chaotic situations. Yeah, Amazon is one of the most successful companies in the world. They certainly are the biggest e-commerce company in the world. And they are just, they are just, a, they will probably 
get so big that they'll have to be broken up as a monopoly. They're that big. It's crazy. And so I noticed that the bigger you get, the more problems you tend to have. And so the, the, the constant balance for us is how much do we expand versus how much do we tie up the infrastructure or, or solidify the infrastructure? So there's this constant balance of <clears throat> how many people do we put in place before the revenue comes in for the projects that we want to work on versus how much of the upfront revenue do we take in before we go out there and recapitalize it with human resources? And, and it's, a, it's a balancing act. And for every, every good I've been in the first 10 years of my business, Ari, at learning how to sell and learning how to create vision and strategy that culminates in complete market domination, I did not and still do not know what the heck I'm doing when it comes to building and growing a team that can self-replicate. I'm starting to learn because I'm 35 now, so I figure it's about time. Uh, so my biggest challenges are all, I got to the first $10 million or I got to 10 million a year, essentially on my own back. I came up with everything and then people assisted me. And I'm saying, how do we get to 100 million where it's the opposite, where it's uh, everybody else figures it out and I assist them. So it's me, it's, it's one person at the end of 150 people before me versus one person at the beginning and needing 150 people to come after me. And that's an art. And, I, and I'm just beginning to learn some of the simple things about it, but we're going to approach it the same way that I've approached anything that I've gotten good at. And hopefully over time, uh, we'll see it. The one thing I will tell you, Ari, that I'm disciplining myself on now that I wasn't earlier in, you know, in the last couple of years is you know, the concept of asymmetric risk to reward, right? Is I believe that the best approach in business right now is to minimize the downside while still being able to maximize the upside. And that is incredibly, incredibly a different way of thinking. Because when I was small and agile, there was not much risk. It was all reward. But the bigger you get, the more the fall can be from the top, right? And so what happens is a lot of companies lock up and they become non-innovative. They become scared to make a decision. They, they, the, the very thing that got them there is the thing that costs them once they get there. And so I'm now just refocusing on this thing of the idea here isn't to hit one big home run that makes the next 10 million or 20 million or 30 million, right? It's to find that one little tiny thing that can self-replicate and the more it happens, the better it gets. And that's the challenge that is, that's the riddle and the puzzle that I have yet to solve, but it, I, I've become obsessed over it. <laughs> well, that, I mean, those are the kind of challenges I love. So that's, that's awesome. I mean, it, it's, it's not awesome that you're having the challenges, but in a way it is because, you know, it means that you're growing. So what, uh, the last question I always like to ask here is what are your top three pieces of advice for people to be more effective? You can interpret that however you like. Yeah. So first one is study cognitive biases. Uh, these are the blind spots which make us uh, or have us make bad decisions. Do you have a favorite? Sorry, not to interrupt, but do you have a favorite? Oh, yeah. I mean, I have so many of them. <laughs> so I'll give you an example. The one that kind of hooks into the last question, it's fresh on my mind, uh, is the availability heuristic. Uh -huh. So the availability heuristic is we typically give we, we oversubscribe value to the things that are most recent in our memory or the things that are most easy, re, easy to recall in our mind. 
And so the availability heuristic is fantastic because first of all, it, it, it's a great persuasive tool. If I can load you up with things in your mind that are very recent that relate to and help you make a decision to invest in my product, that's going to help me make a sale. But on the flip side, if I'm relying on just my memory of what I can recall to help me with my decision-making processes of what I should do in my business and in my personal life, that's probably not going to be a good thing because we're so susceptible to these things that are typically what's in front of us is what we typically pay attention to, not what's best for us. And so the availability heuristic I see happen constantly to the detriment of people that don't realize that you only subscribe value to this thing and therefore act on this thing simply because it's in front of you or simply because it's top of mind. It's not necessarily the best thing for you, but that's how we're programmed by default. It's a survival mechanism. So kind of counteracting that. And I'll give you, I'll give you one more just because uh, it's written right on my wall because I was talking about it the other day. It's the fundamental attribution error. So this is a cognitive bias where essentially we're less, we're more likely to subscribe situations to our behavior, but character traits to other people's behavior. So here's what I mean. Um, if I'm, if I snap at somebody, I can say, well, you know, I'm not a mean person. I just didn't sleep well last night because maybe I was up all night. So I only got two hours of sleep. So of course I snapped at that person. I mean, it was the wrong thing to do, but I'm a good person. I don't, I'm not mean. Right. But if somebody snaps at you, you say, Geez, what a meanie. That person is just a bad person. So see how I've attributed a situation to my own behavior, but I've attributed a character trait to somebody else's behavior. And that is very dangerous because it can make you cynical. It can also lead to the incorrect conclusions. Like you could say, oh, I don't want to work with that person. He's a jerk. And then you find out, yeah, that person just had a freaking appendicitis last week and now he's all screwed up and now he's working on recovering from it but his wife left him in the process and so he's a little shattered but this is the same guy that if you worked with him will make you your next five million dollars because he has exactly what you need but if you dismiss him because you are judging him based on what you feel are character traits when the reality is there are situational things that are occurring that is that is to your own fault uh, so it's a more holistic view so that's the first thing is you study cognitive biases. Um, the second thing is it's, it's really interesting, but it's easier to make decisions right than it is to make right decisions in business. And so this isn't brain surgery where if we cut the wrong thing, then somebody dies. Businesses, uh, business decisions are very forgiving and the marketplace has a very short memory of failure. So, you know, like I like to give the example of, you know, the first iPad was that Apple made wasn't the iPad. It was the Newton. And everybody's like, what's the Newton, right? Huh? I've never heard of the Newton. Exactly. You fail, if they fell, but big deal. It, without the Newton, I don't know if they could have actually made the iPad, right? And then if you even think about, well, what about the Lisa too? Nobody remembers that hardly at all, especially the kids these days. Now, Apple's the number one most profitable company in the world. But I could... I. I could I could roll up hundreds of examples of really stupid decisions that Apple has made over the years, right? <laughs> yeah, no, that I totally forgot about the Lisa. That's funny. Oh, it's hilarious. And most of these are things that Steve Jobs did, and he was the pioneer of these failures. Uh, the beautiful, but but think about it this way: if they're willing to take those risks and fail, then they're willing to take a risk and say, "Let's make a retail store called the Apple Store." And guess what? Per square foot, the Apple Store is the most profitable retail space in existence. Now, nobody else was willing to take the risk to do something that might not work like that. But because Apple has their DNA, 
are wired that we can take risks that if we fail, we fail, but it's not disastrous, then we can continue to take risk until one of them pays off. So Bezos says in his first shareholder letter uh, to Amazon in 1997, he says, anytime you can risk 10 cents to make a dollar, you should make that risk every single time. And this is kind of a cognitive bias thing too, as well, is as people will only risk, they'll do the opposite. They'll risk a dollar to make a dollar and 10 cents, uh, but they won't risk 10 cents to make a dollar. It, it, it's weird, but that's how it seems to be. And so the idea is to figure out what are some things that we can very quickly try that will most likely fail, because here's a hint. Most of the things you do the first time you do them in business are like the first time a kid learns to ride a bike. You will fail. But if a kid gives up after the first time they'd ride a bike, or if the parents say, ah, oh, this bike riding stuff isn't for my kid, then nobody would be riding bikes anymore. And so make a decision and then make it right, as opposed to worrying about making the right decision. That's the second thing. Uh, the third thing is, and this is very specific based on, on what's happening in the marketplace right now, but people are, they think that there's a simple solution to their marketing problems. They literally think if I hire this one person, then all my marketing problems will go away. But that one person, they want to do 17 different individual jobs. So they're like, we want the marketing guy, but they want the guy that also writes the email copy. And they want the guy that makes the video scripts. And they, they want the person that designs the landing pages. And they want the person that buys the Facebook ads. And they think that's one person. That's 17 people. But the problem is you don't probably have the budget, nor do you have the capacity to bring in 17 people in-house, try them out, hire and fire and keep who you want, and then build something out of that. And so the idea becomes theory of constraints. And so the idea is this, what's the number one constraint in your business right now that you could remove that if you re removed it would allow, would allow more throughput of inventory in your business? And so that's simply don't look at who's the guy I can bring in to add complexity to my business. You say, what's the number one constraint in my business right now? And how can we remove that? Because if you remove that constraint, you'll actually be able to create momentum to not hire the, the, the mythical person that can do 17 different things great. You'll be able to hire that one person who can do that one thing great that is most needed now because you freed up a constraint. So remove the constraint. That's the third piece of advice that I would recommend. That is, those are just totally, totally excellent. So Jason, I mean, thank you so much. Where can people find out more about you and Rapid Crush and Genius Webinars and everything? Yeah, absolutely. So I would recommend that you go to rapidcrush.com to figure out more about my company and definitely go to amazon.com and put into the search the book One to Many. So just put the words One to Many in there at Amazon. Buy the book on Kindle or paperback or hardback. It's an incredible book and I think it'll help a lot. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Less Doing Podcast. At Less Doing, we help entrepreneurs who have opportunity in excess of what their infrastructure can support to set up systems and processes that empower a team to ultimately make themselves more replaceable. That way, they can optimize, automate, and outsource everything in their businesses in order to be more effective. If you want to find out more about Less Doing, the podcast, the blog, the books, and all of the wonderful programs we offer to help you get from where you are to where you know you want to be, go to lessdoing.com slash podcast and check out our OAO blueprint so you can get started today.